Um, so this week we're going to talk about disciplines, and I, and I know that that's probably an unpopular thing because, um, well, because it, it's lame. Like nobody likes discipline, right? That, that sucks when you think about discipline uh, with our kids. We think about punishments or discipline in that way. This um, mantra has been rolling through my head uh, in the last week or two. That's uh, the Lord disciplines those He loves, and and it's changing my perspective on some of these difficult times to understand that God is working in and through all of these circumstances to build character and perseverance and 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 ultimately a deeper love of him that surpasses my love of other things. Um, and so in the beginning of the year, I, I suppose it's a good time to talk about the disciplined life and what that looks like and, and how we can build into that. And so I wanted to spend a little bit of time because as we come around uh, a new year, we're recommitting to things often, right? Like a, a lot of programs have paused or things have gone on and, and we've had this long break and we often, I think, look ahead and go, man, how am I ever going to have the strength to do that again? You know, another six weeks, another eight weeks or another whatever it is. And, and we have these big chunks of life that we have to evaluate. And so I would just encourage each of us to be able to go about that in a disciplined process and, and to be able to do that humbly before the Lord as a way of guiding our lives because we are called to a high degree of resiliency in life. Life's not easy for any of us. You know, like if you talk to people and you get beyond just the how are things good, how's it going good, um, when you get into that, life takes a lot of resiliency and it takes a lot of grit. And I wanted to examine a few passages today uh, that look into how we can really build into uh, a life of spiritual resiliency um, and how we can engage uh, the task and mission that Christ has given us with a new level of resiliency, especially as we move into the new year. Um, when I read through lots of the, the fathers on, on prayer or the disciplines, prayer in particular becomes the sort of fountainhead of all disciplines, right? So when you think about um, generosity and giving, or when you think about uh, prayer and fasting, when you think about any of the disciplines that we undergo of, of reading the Word or prayer itself, prayer, being in the presence of, of the Father, is is underneath all of those things, right? If we do, if we if we fast but don't pray, we're just died, really, right? And so this is the idea: is I want to spend a little bit of time this week, and as we go into January, we're going to talk about some more of these disciplines and how we can engage them. Uh, but I wanted to speak in particular this week on prayer and setting a foundation of prayer for our lives and what that looks like. Um, so what I did is I went through uh, the Bible, and, and I, I just isolated all the times that Jesus and prayer are linked together. So it's the things that he says about prayer or the times that he spends praying himself. And so I there's a list of like 43 different verses in the New Testament. So obviously prayer is a central characteristic of Christ. And uh, and so I wanted to look this morning, and you can turn there with me, to Mark chapter 1, verse 35. And when I think about the disciplined life, you know, when you think about the arduous life, a lot of us, uh, if you're like me, I'm sick and I, you know, I'm feeling very tired and I just don't frankly, feel like discipline. And so it's it's hard to get into that mindset of, okay, I'm gonna, we have to start this thing again, right? Like life keeps going and we need to check back in. But when we think about the discipline life, this verse in particular 
pops up into my head, and I think it pops up into a lot of our heads when we think about the sort of normal expected Christian discipline or the normal expected Christian duty, right, of, of read your Bible and pray every day, of morning devotions, of, of whatever that sort of cultural thing is. And, and I think it's here a lot. So it's not a long verse. So let's just, um, let's just read Mark chapter 1, verse 35. This is talking about Jesus. It says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Excuse me. So this is, like I say, this is the, the sort of thing. And the temptation here, and I think it's a healthy practice to do this, this is, I'm just going to say as a disclaimer, I'm only talking about one component of prayer this morning. Like prayer is a huge topic. And so I just want to talk about prayer and resiliency in particular. But when you see this, you see that Jesus gets up very early in the morning while it's still dark. And he leaves the house and the busyness. He's staying at a, a friend's house, essentially. He leaves that house. He leaves the, the sort of chaos and the hubbub and the busyness of all of that. And he gets away to go be with the Lord where he prays. Now, the first temptation I have when I read this is I think, ah, to be single. I, I could do that. If I had no kids, I could, I could certainly do what Jesus is doing. And, and I did when I, you know, when I was a single dude and I could just, I was in charge of my own life and schedule. It was a lot easier to go find that time. Although, let's be honest, not always all that consistent either, right? And I think um, what we learn about Jesus, what we see about his character in this, isn't fully appreciated unless we go back in these verses. And so if we go to Mark 1, verse 21, we start to paint the picture, a little bit of context about what it is that drives Jesus to get up early in the morning and to go. And so he has just called Simon and Andrew, the brothers, and uh, off of the lake, they're, they're out fishing. And so he calls them, and uh, or sorry, that's, and then James and John, and they, they come immediately. And it says in verse 21, it says, they went to Capernaum together. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. Now, the people were amazed at his teaching. This is in verse 22, chapter 1, verse 22. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. And so when you think about the difference between what Jesus is showing and what these teachers of the law are showing, you're thinking, what is it that, that gives him that authority? What lends that authority to him? He's teaching this law as a law that he has ultimately written not as one that he's read and regurgitated, but a law that he's written, and he understands the heart of it. So this lends Christ an authority. And so it goes on, it says in verse 23, Just then, a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an impure spirit, so this is like a demon-possessed dude, cries out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. And then in verse 27, it says, The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching? And with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about Jesus, him, spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. And so Jesus is just beginning his ministry. Okay, So he's just been baptized by John the Baptist, he's just calling his disciples, and they're just starting to travel around. And his name is gaining 
renowned because of this authority that he has, as one who has, who has authority to, to own and teach and the author of the law, right? So Jesus is going out and he's casting out these impure spirits. It's assumed that this guy, this impure spirit, has been in that synagogue for quite a while and he's been unable to be dealt with by anyone else, right? And so when Jesus just quickly dismisses him and he comes out, and a, I mean, it's a violent, dramatic ordeal, but the spirit is gone. And so the people recognize this power that Jesus brings. And so this is Jesus' ministry is amping up, okay? So he's gaining credibility. He's gaining renown. It says, word spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. And so it says, as soon, and this is in verse 29, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the house of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. I mean, they had just seen all that Jesus had done, and so now they're going to go, hey, we got a sick person. Let's Obviously, the first natural thing to do is to bring Jesus here. They're not bringing her to be like, look how sick she is. They're like, you have the power to heal. You have the power to drive out into your spirits. Can you see my mother-in-law? <laughs> she, he was not assuming that his mother-in-law was demon-possessed. I don't think that's the best thing. So she has a fever, and so he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. And the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. Now I want to talk about this again in regards to the disciplines, is the order in which the disciplines come about. And so we're going to have to change gears here just a little bit, but I want to talk about this. Like, so it's important for us to understand. I think when we think about spiritual disciplines, a lot of us go to this like sort of Catholic place, and I know there's a lot of baggage for a lot of people about that, but it becomes this, oh, that's not a, it's not a very Baptist thing to do. And it's certainly not a very, like, you know, in our postmodern world where spirituality is come one, come all, and there's nothing wrong with me as an individual. There's no reason to discipline ourselves to change, to become something new, and to become made in a new image, right? But that is not the message of the Bible. That is not, you know, in Romans, I think it's 8.28, when, when um, Paul says that, um, that God's love is demonstrated in this, that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us, right? That, that there was something broken about us, that we were all sinners, and that Christ needed to repair something about each of us. And then that, that idea of letting go of our sinful selves and, and gaining into this new life that Christ offers, that is the discipline that we're talking about, right? And this is what Christ calls literally putting to death the old self and, and, and living the new life of the resurrection. So it's a very dramatic thing that he's talking about. And so when we talk about disciplines, the temptation is going to be to go out and just start um, praying in order to be accepted by God or start doing these things in order to be accepted by God or to show ourselves worthy of his love or things like that. But the disciplines are always a response to the grace and love of Jesus, right? Our lives respond to this by coming under his authority and following eagerly after him. And so that's what we see. It was just a convenient thing, but it says that after the fever left her, she began to wait on all of them. And then it says in 32, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. Now, I want you to get an image of this. Okay, So Jesus has just gone, and he's been preaching and teaching in the synagogue, and he's got this authority, and word is beginning to spread about him. He goes back to Simon and Andrew's place. He heals their mother-in-law, and the sun is down. like It's dark, and then the zombie apocalypse happens. 
and like every demon-possessed person in town and all the sick people show up and start knocking on the door. And Jesus is like, well, how does he respond? Let's look. It says, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Now, this is this is Jesus' response. Is he just he just goes and, and and he just starts healing people and he starts casting out these impure spirits. And he's, he does what he came to do, essentially, right? Now, when I started as an intern here, uh, I was, you know, we'd go to junior youth or we'd do kids zone, and so it was like I had jujitsu on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I had a thing on Wednesdays that I was doing in the evening. Like life was really, really busy. And then the weekends, if I was getting a sermon ready, things have slowed down because Jude is a superhero, and that has helped me a ton. And now he is facing that same burden. But this is a thing. Like we get so busy, and I remember it's the same feeling I get even after I preach because you know, standing. It seems like a simple thing, but this actually kind of drains me a little bit. So that's not a meant to offend anybody, but it's just a reality. Like, I get tired after public speaking, and I just want to, like, check out, and I just want to, like, hang up the hat and become some other person and, like, go into this other thing. And it takes such a, a great level of resiliency, you guys, to be able to check into life in the way that we need to be able to check into life and to be able to check into the things that God has laid before us. And so Christ has gone all day. He's preaching in the synagogue. He's doing all this stuff. Then all the sick and demon-possessed show up at his door. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's doing all this. He stays up late at night. And then we get to the verse that we started with this morning in 135. This is his response. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. That's convicting for me a little convicting for me because I don't always respond that way to the stresses that I have in life. But Jesus is allowing these stresses and the pressures and the and the, the difficulty of the task ahead of him to push him into his relationship with the Father, to draw him into dependence. And, and that resiliency that he gains is not one that he has to muster up on his own strength or his own accord, but even Christ himself, who is fully God and fully man, goes out to be alone with the Father. He sets an example for us as humans to be able to, to know that in humility, Christ goes and does these things. Now, I've, I've talked with a number of people about um, baptism, and, and I know a lot of people, they'll say, well, why is baptism such an important thing for us? Why, why does baptism really matter? And the truth of it is, we don't actually, we don't, we don't have anything in the Bible that says this is the magical process that happens during baptism and this is the reason that you should do it. What we have is, is an example and a precedent that was set by John the Baptist and he's baptizing all people in the baptism of repentance and then Jesus himself comes in human flesh, right? So Philippians 2 talks about uh, in humility Christ did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but rather he took on the very nature of a servant, right? This is Christ taking on the very nature of a servant. He subjected himself to humility and obedience, even to death, right? Even death on a cross. But not only that, but Christ is submitting himself to obedience to these human institutions like baptism and like prayer 
and he's going and doing these things that humans need to do because he is fully human and he needs to do them. So what we have ultimately with baptism and with prayer, I'm suggesting, is that Christ is saying, if it's not beyond me, then far be it to be beyond you. <laughs> if I need this, if Jesus needs to go and take time alone to understand what he's all about, to know what he's made of, to, to grow in resiliency for the task that God has given him, then we too need to go and seek the same sort of thing. right? But we don't do that often. And I'm not here to, to guilt and shame people. The point of this is not, you know, I could make you feel really bad about not praying enough, not reading your Bibles enough. Um, but I don't think that's very fruitful in particular. But what we do have is we have an example that draws us into a longing to obey in a like way. Christ is setting an example for us. Right? So he just goes out and he prays and he's alone with the Father. And I think it's really interesting when we continue on in the context of this passage, we go to the next part. So Jesus gets up, he leaves the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And then in Mark 1, verse 36, it says, Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everybody's looking for you. And Jesus replied, let's go someplace else, <laughs> to the nearby villages. Why? So I can get away from everybody and calm all this stuff down. This thing's getting ahead of me. No. Why? So I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So this time in prayer and in solitude that Jesus seeks out brings focus to what he's all about. It's a, re it's a time to remember why he's here what he's doing. Now, I want you to imagine that you're in Jesus's place, okay? So you walk into the synagogue. You're the one teaching with authority. That Your name is being spread with renown, and all of this is happening, and people are bringing the sick and the demon-possessed to you, and you, could, you have a lineup out the door, and you have to close the door and say, I just need to sleep, and then the next morning, boom, the lineup starts again. It would be really tempting to allow all of these people to determine what your purpose and mission in life is all about what you're all about. And you're doing good things. But Jesus doesn't do that. He still disciplines himself to get away and to listen to what God wants him to do, to be reminded of what he's all about. And I think we need that same reminder. So he says, no, let's go someplace else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. And so he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. He was doing the same thing, but he was spreading the the, the word, the good news about who he was, that the Messiah was here. He didn't want to get it all centralized in one place, and so he just continued on in this mission. And it is so vital for us, you guys, when, especially as we're reevaluating where we're going to be putting our energy, our efforts, our thoughts, and our considerations. As, as, we, as we do that and we allow God to evaluate how we've been doing, how we've spent our last day or week or whatever it is, that we, we bring that to God and allow him to evaluate those things and allow him to redirect us where necessary, to remind us of the most important things. Now, Jesus tells us, and, and we know this, we talk about this a lot in, in this church, um, our, our mission, right, is to be able to, to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and that is based on the Great Commission in Matthew 20, 28. Oh, not there. 28, verse 16. And so Jesus is, this is after his resurrection, and Jesus is speaking to his disciples, but he's also, in time, he's speaking ahead to all of us 
who would call ourselves disciples or followers of Christ. And he says this. It says, Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus gave us the same commission that he had. He told his disciples that greater things than these they would do after he left and sent his spirit to empower them. We have the same great task that Jesus has. That does not drive us to a place of urgent need. Then we haven't considered our task appropriately. Christ has given us a huge commission. And we will burn out. We will become quickly exhausted if we rely on our own resources to be resilient in that. This is so tempting for pastors and ministers, I know, but and I think it's tempting for all of us, right? That we, we just go, it's just too great. The need is too much. Thank God that Jesus didn't say that when all the people were there lining up. He didn't say the need was too much. Instead, he multiplied himself. He gave us this same commission, the same task, the same purpose in life. And we often need to stop and pause and pray and ask God, how have we been doing with the thing, with the work that you have given us to do? And so as we as we spend the next couple of weeks looking over at uh, not just resiliency, but disciplines in general, I want this to be the backbone of all disciplines that we ever that we'd ever think about endeavoring to undertake, right? Is that any discipline that is not rooted and grounded in the foundation of prayer, uh, just humble prayer, right? That says, I'm a human being and I don't have what it takes. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have the strength. I don't have the resiliency. I don't have the grit. We can't afford to put our heads down and try harder, you guys. It's, it's not going to happen for our own lives and it's not going to, we're not going to accomplish the, the mission at large if we just say, I just need to try harder. This must, our need and our lack of ability and capacity must drive us to a place of prayer and dependency on God. And then, and then imagine the work that God would be doing in all of our lives. That we could fall in, in humble obedience to this, this command to just come and pray, to, to drink from this well that is only accessed through prayer. This is the whole relationship. This is our responding to grace, right? Is that we get to have a relationship with God. That is, that opportunity is pure grace. There's nothing but that, right? And so we get to come there in, in, in gratitude and in humility, and, and we get to drink from a well that doesn't run dry. And Christ says, Lo, I am with you always. These are the things. You know, I think often we go to prayer and we, we expect God to put his hand on our own human endeavors. We, we, we completely detach ourselves from the mission that he's given us or from the task that he's given us or, or, or the, the work he's put in front of us. You know, I think, I just think about the, the great human need, you know, the, the burden of care that surrounds each of our lives. We all have that. And I, I think even that phrase, burden of care, for some of you, that's a trigger, right? If you've ever worked in healthcare or if you've had to be by a loved one as they're as they're passing away and, and been saddled with the burden of care, you understand you understand what that's like and it's not easy. It's a, it's a difficult time. 
the burden of care is, is a real thing. And we don't have the strength to do it. I, don't know, I know mothers understand this for sure, right? The burden of care, the expectation that those kids have, they're just, it's, they expect so much. They need so much. And you could never possibly give enough, it seems like, right? And, but we all have these relationships, right? They're in, our, they're in our parenting relationships. They're in our marriage relationships. They're in our friendships. They're in our workplace. The, the burden of care is everywhere. Christ is calling us to be on mission in this way. And we can't do it on our own strength, but we can do it on his strength, and we can access that through prayer. So I just encourage you guys, as, as we go into our lives and as you're, as you're kind of reflecting on, on these areas of how am I going to invest my time, energy, and resources into the new year, what things will I prioritize, I'd really invite you guys to, to spend moments, to seek a little bit of solitude, whether it's, you know, Every single day. I, this doesn't mean that you have to get up early in the morning. Every I, I try and get up early. I get up especially early on Sundays so I can come here and, and get ready. And my kids, you know, as soon as I make the coffee, they, I put the kettle on. I'm going, okay, I'm going to have coffee and pray. Then the kettle whistles. Then the kids wake up. And then it's, the prayer time's over, right? It's like if I try and pray without coffee, that's just called sleeping. So it doesn't really work either. So, I, you know, we have to be realistic about these things, right? And I, you know, maybe the, the, the practice of making a fire and sitting by it is enough to just kind of commit your day to the Lord and quiet and, and to be present with the Lord. But, but if it doesn't happen in the morning, eventually the kids go to sleep and there is opportunities in the evening before all these other things take place, right, to just sit and say, okay, Lord, how did today go? And how can I, what do I need to confess? What do I need to... To work on and would you help me and just invite God into this into this process into your daily life and maybe it works better for your schedule to do that you know once a week and to just sit and have a, a sort of weekly reflective time maybe it's a Sunday after church in the afternoons there's a there's a quiet day where you can spend some time in that reflection but I would just encourage you to find time to ask these questions and to allow God to guide you into his mission and to and to draw and drink from the well that breeds resiliency and strength for all of us. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would be here among us, that you would meet us in these moments of prayer, that we wouldn't scorn your invitation to prayer. Thank you, Lord, that you have invited us, that you are gracious and good to us. Thank you that you have made this possible for us. Thank you for the mission that you've given us. Lord, we confess that we have tried to do this on our own strength for too long. And we ask, Lord, that you would act. God, might we see the, the benefit of, of coming to you. God, would you fill us with your spirit as we, as we go this week uh, to act and to will and to move according to your purposes. We ask in your son's name. Amen. All right, it's Communion Sunday. It's the first week of the month, the first Sunday of the month. So we're going to share in communion. Whoa, oh, there was a thing there. I just want to talk a little bit about what communion is. Uh, communion is a, it's a commemoration time. It's a time when we, this says Matthew 26, and it's in Genesis 16, so that's completely wrong. Communion is a time where we remember the Last Supper that Christ had with the disciples uh, just before his 
his death and resurrection. And it's a way of inviting God into, into our very lives, right? And so this is the, the reminder that he has for his disciples. Let me just turn there. We all know this. This is from Matthew 26, verse 26. It says that while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, why don't you take this and eat? This is my body. Now, he was handing them bread, but he's saying, this is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and he said, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. What Christ is saying is that when we eat the bread and when we drink the cup, we, we make part Christ, we make Christ rather a part of who we are. We ingest him. He, he goes with us. He wants us to know that this new covenant, this new promise is possible and that, and that as we take these elements, it's a, it's a, a physical reminder. It's a, a great physical reminder that Christ goes with us. And so, we celebrate, still to this day, churches all over the place, celebrate communion, and, and we just have some bread and some, and some juice. This is not wine. But um, I would invite you, if, if you have asked Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life, please uh, participate in this supper with us. This supper, I mean, this is pretty meager things, but the idea is that we are all participating in this together. We are all coming under one body. We are all participating in one body, one spirit. And one new covenant. So if, uh, if Rob talked to you about communion, would you come up and help me in this out? Thanks, guys. Thanks. So we're going to pass these elements out, and I'll just invite you guys to hold these uh, for the time being, and then once everybody has received them, um, we'll be able to take them together. If you don't want the elements, you can just hold your hand or pass the plate along as you like, okay? Thanks, guys. You can go down where Tim is there and then come up. Keep it going in the middle.
Chris almost got more than his fair share of the body and blood. Literally, this is spilt for me. <laughs> I used to go to an Anglican church in Winnipeg called The Table, and they would sing a song at communion called Come to the Table, and I really liked the imagery of being able to come together to the table of Christ and to, to eat what is meager perhaps in, in proportion, but is really a great abundance like we have experienced. And, I, and I'm honored to be here at the table with you all. Um, so I would just invite you, um, as we eat this, um, that we would remember Christ's words. Let me find it. Jesus took the bread while they were eating, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and he said, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Pray with me. Father, you are so good to us. You've made a place for us at the table. You promise to sustain us, to give us strength, to secure our path. Father, would you would you give us the strength to respond to your call? We ask in your son's name. Amen. Please stand and we'll sing our way out of here.
I want to read uh, Psalm 121 and dismiss you with it. It says, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Those are good words to live by, and we got lots of mountains around here. So I'd encourage you guys to lift your eyes up to the mountains this week as we seek the resiliency and strength of our Savior. You're dismissed. <laughs>